All right, well, good morning, Get Well. Uh, it's so good to be up here this morning. Just want to say again, personally, thank you uh, just so much for making uh, me feel welcome, as well as my family, these first few months being on staff here. I will say, you know, uh, Get Well is a very, very special place. Uh, it's a, a family, and so I'm so thankful to be a part of that and looking forward to what God's going to continue to do in the days ahead. Uh, last week, we opened our series on who is Jesus, and Pastor Jonathan opened this series for us. It's really the biggest question that we're ever going to have to answer in our life is, who is this man? Who is Jesus? And last week, you know, uh, Jonathan, he opened up with Jesus as a person of purpose. He is the God of purpose. You know, Old Testament is what? What did we learn last week? Jesus concealed. The New Testament is all about Jesus being revealed. He perfectly lived out God's law. He perfectly lived out God's love. And then last week we saw he came to restore the disciples to perfect worship, purpose. We all want purpose. We all need purpose in our daily life. Jesus comes to bring that purpose that we so, so long for and we try to fill with so many things in our life if we're not careful. So the question we left with last week was what? What am I pursuing the most? That was our challenge. Who is on the throne of your life and my life? It's a question we have to wrestle with every day, if we're honest, right? I mean, it's, it's one of those things that we can't just answer one time and we're done. We can't just say, Jesus, you're on the throne of my life. That's said and done. Close the book. I move on. It's uh, things continue to compete for the throne of our life. But our pursuit, our pursuit, ah, oh, Jesus is the God of miracles. He is the one we just sang about this morning. And so this week, as we open up week two of our series is, who is Jesus? He is our healer. He is our healer. He is the God of miracles. And today, we're going to really, really be looking at two different books of the Bible. First, we're going to keep your finger there in Isaiah. And then we're also going to be in the Gospel of Matthew. And we're going to really put these two together because one thing you have to love about Scripture is it's one grand story. It's a story of God redeeming His people, restoring, uh, setting things right. He's renewing us. And so when we take these two books of the Bible, hopefully when you leave this morning, you're just going to see how they're just so closely tied together, like all Scripture is. But we're going we're gonna to start in Isaiah and look at Isaiah because Isaiah was written 700 years. That's a long time, isn't it? 700 years. I mean, that's, I mean, think back in American history. That's a long time. And so as we think of that, 700 years before the birth of Jesus, but Jesus will come to fulfill every single prophecy written about the Messiah. You know, we believe there is over 350 prophecies about the coming Messiah. Jesus fulfilled every single one of them. And that's who we're looking at today. He is the miracle worker. He is the healer. And so our first point this morning that I want us to get, and you'll see this on the back of your bulletin, is this. Miracles have a purpose in God's plan. Miracles have a purpose in His plan. 
The miracles Jesus performed, as we see in Isaiah 35, 5 through 6, as we see, then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Look, it seems like you're just looking at Jesus right here, 700 years before. Then will the lame leap like a deer, the miracle worker, and the mute tongue shout for joy. He brought speech. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. You see, the miracles Jesus performed, they were confirmation that he is the true Messiah. He was Savior and he is Savior as well as sovereign. You know, we throw that word around sometimes. But sovereign, when you look at its definition, it really means that all-knowing, all-powerful, and has all authority. You see, the supernatural was and is proof that Jesus was different than anyone else, different than any religious leader, different than anyone, any group that follows any individual or religious system, Jesus came not to establish a religious system. Jesus came so that we would have a personal encounter, personal relationship with God. And how do we know that? Well, as we look through Scripture, I mean, of course, we're looking in Isaiah and Matthew today, but um, I think one of my favorite things to look at when we look at the miracle worker and we look at the supernatural of Jesus, you look in the, the Gospel of John. And there's these I am statements mentioned over and over in John. But there's seven statements that, you know, we've all heard throughout time. You know, if we've been in church any amount of time, you've heard these statements. And so I just want to look at a couple of them. You know, when Jesus says, I am the bread of life in John 6, he's speaking about being the true bread of heaven, able to satisfy people's spiritual hunger. What happened right before that as we think back? There was a miracle. There was a miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 plus, and Jesus used this miracle opportunity to point to who he really is. You see, there's this overarching theme, and then you continue on with, I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. Here's another miracle for you. I am the resurrection and the life spoken during uh, the time when Lazarus, his close friend, he raised him from the dead. He brought him to life, and he found an opportunity through a miracle to be able to say, look at me. I want you to see that I am the great I am. I want you to be able to see that I am the resurrection and the life. Just as Lazarus lives again physically, there is a life that we all need spiritually that is the overarching theme of, of history and humanity, is that I have come to restore you spiritually. I've come to restore you in a right relationship with God. You see, Jesus would use miracles often to point to the deeper meaning. He would always do that, and he was so, so good at it, being the Son of God. You see, miracles Jesus performed, they were personal, but they also, they met a genuine need, didn't they? I mean, we look throughout Scripture. I mean, Jesus, our healer, he, he looks people in the eyes. He takes time to listen to others. He takes time to really focus in on the individual situations, never losing sight of his overarching mission as a God of purpose, the son of purpose, the son of miracles, the son who's a healer. He met individual needs. So no matter what we're going through today, just as much as we see the need of those who were hungry or the need, the need that was at a wedding or the need that would have been with the blind or the one with leprosy or the one who was lame, just as much as we see those needs, we need to remember that God sees our needs. 
He knows our very needs individually. You know, how has He been faithful to you today? How has He come through for you and your family financially this year? Maybe a physical need, maybe a marital need, maybe it's a need that you had with a boss, just a relational need, or it could be a job situation going through the past two years. How has God worked miracles in your life? If we're not careful, we'll easily kind of glaze over that, won't we? It's easy for us just to kind of see past that and uh, lose sight of the personal miracles, the personal things God's doing in your own life. You see, miracles really are twofold. But another thing about who is this man, the healer, the second thing I want us to look at today is it's about the story of redemption that runs throughout the Bible. It's a story of redemption. And as we look in Isaiah 53 again, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. 700 years, let's not lose sight again. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, redemption means to buy back what was stolen when you look it up. It's to buy it back, to be redeemed. It also means to repair or to restore something that was broken. You know, it's kind of like the man whose wedding ring was stolen during a robbery. Once he located it at a pawn shop that was local, he was willing to do whatever it took to pay back to get what was his. It would be that same kind of uh, illustration there that we think of is that here's a man who something that was taken from him that was so precious that, you know, symbolized his love, his covenant before God, his love for his wife, and it was stolen from him. And on, on a search, he finally finds it locally in town and, you know, unfortunately doesn't have proof, that, let's just say, the, to show that that was stolen. So he's willing to pay whatever it is. He's like, I want that ring back. That's my ring. That's my wedding ring. That's the most precious piece of jewelry I have and he's willing to pay whatever it is. You see, Jesus did that in our life. Jesus bought back what was rightfully his. He's the God of miracles. He's the God who redeems. He's the one who repairs and restores. No matter what we face today, no matter what uh, situation you're going through this week, you know, God is a God of redemption, and it's not over. His plan for you is great. He wants to use these situations that we we go through in our life to, to redeem us, to mold us, to chisel away at our image so that we begin to look more and more like Him. Our image reflects Jesus and not ourselves, not our decisions, but Jesus' decisions, not our choices, but His choices, not our character, but His character. That leads us to the next point. Jesus is the Son with supreme power supreme power. So if you're taking notes, he is the son of supreme power. Matthew chapter 8 says it this way as we go now to the gospel of Matthew. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. S suddenly 
a furious storm came up on the lake so that, he, so that the waves swept over the boat. Pretty scary, right? So, but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Even they obey him. You see, Jesus had the power to heal the leper, still the storm with a single word. Power to raise the dead. He had the power over disaster, disease, death, and even distance. Matthew gives us instance after instance of his supreme power. It's amazing when you look in the life of Jesus. Undisputed Messiah. There's no question about it. Scripture proves it. Archaeology confirms it. History reveals it. Our lives ought to be able to live it out and be an example for it. He is alive and he is well. You see, Jesus does have that power today to break any addiction, mend a marriage, restore any health crisis. He has the power to do those things. So as we apply this to our own life, it's, it's one thing that we see it in Scripture. It's one thing that we go, you know, I, I agree with that, Jason. I agree with the truth about who Jesus is. But often we're much like Israel, aren't we? And we forget and we lose sight of just the personal miracles, the personal victories we have in our lives. And that's exactly what he has come to do to redeem us, to bring us back to him to do an overarching plan, of course, we see in Scripture, to be the Messiah, to be our sin payment, and to restore our relationship with God. But He's also come to free us from the, the, shackles, the shackles that we put on ourselves of sin and bad choices and things we do in our own lives. He's here today uh, for us to face it. And so the next point we'll see this morning, as we look in the scriptures here, miracles are intended to lead us to the Messiah. Let's not lose sight of that. Miracles are intended to lead us to the Messiah. Let's look back at Matthew 8 again, and let's just single out verse 26. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. Ah, don't we want calm in our life, church? We want calm and we want to be able to sense the peace and the presence of God, no matter if we're going through a mountaintop experience, which we love, or we're going through a valley or somewhere in between. There's something amazing about calm. You know, things can temporarily fix that. You know, we could try to make choices and and uh, start habits and, and make things that we believe they're going to fix and, and fill us, but there's only temporary fixing. You know, the, the eternal impact, the one who has the power to redeem us, to restore us, to give us peace, to give us purpose, as we saw last week, is Jesus and Jesus alone. He's the one who restores us to our core. He is the one with supreme power. He is the one who wants us to lead to his heart. 
You know, when we think of this, surely Jesus was the talk of the town. He had to be. I mean, if social media was around in Jesus' day, I mean, Twitter, Instagram, all of your news outlets would have just erupted. I mean, I I tell you, it, it would have because Jesus was a miracle worker, and he attracted all types of people. Who doesn't want to see a miracle? Who doesn't want to see the feeding of 5,000 people? Who doesn't want to see the dead brought back to life? I mean, that is like, whoa, i got to follow this man. This is amazing. Look at what this man can do. You know, I mean, so he attracted people, no doubt. Crowds of thousands and thousands of people would press in on him and the disciples, no doubt. Jesus cares for our physical needs. Let's never lose sight of that. He cares for our individual needs and our family needs. But it's always intended to draw us closer to Him. He doesn't want us to just fall in love with what He can give us. It's not intended that we would just say, God, what can you do for me next? How can you fix this? How can you give me this? Not to fall in love with the hand of God, but to fall in love with the person in the heart of God is what He's called us to do. You see, miracles are intended to lead us to the Messiah, no doubt. And for some reason, Um, He was their source of entertainment, like many times we find, you know, and, but others found that Jesus was the refuge. Is He your refuge today? Or is He the one that you need the most today? Is He the one that we run to in our point of need or in our point of victory? You see, many miss Jesus because they were focusing only on what He could do for them, only what He could do. And, you know, that, that's part of when you think of you, if you have children, you can relate to this. My youngest, you know, I have five, and so my three oldest are girls. I got two boys. They got, they got their hands full, right? So they've got a lot to watch after. They got some older sisters to look after. So we're trying to train them right, right? So they're doing good. But my youngest, I mean, he loves the pool. He loves to swim. And uh, he, anytime he sees water, he wants to run toward it. And so, but one day, in many days, we'd have to teach him early on when he was two, three years old, is that you can't run uh, you can't run and jump into the pool without your life jacket. You know, you can't do that. And so many times we would see him on vacation or at a, a friend's pool or somewhere else. He just wants to make a beeline and just jump in. And like uh, Shannon and I often would have to, you know, we'd run out in front and go, here he goes again, right? And we, we'd jump out in our hand and we would grab him and be like, you can't do that, son. You've got to trust my hand. You've got to trust my instinct. You've got to trust that I know what's best for you. And you see in that same vein, you and I, as we look back in all of the victories and we look back and we see just the um, security that we have in our relationship with God, how many times has God come through for you this year? How has he come through for you in your life? Think of times and instances in your life his hand has protected you. His hand has comforted you. His hand has held you back from something that you didn't see coming, but you're so glad that it did. You see, that's what the hand of God does. But always the hand, Jesus has taught us well, is that the hand ought to lead to the heart. The hand ought to lead to the personal relationship that we need to have with God. You see, and that brings me to my last point. You can jot this down right under your notes. You'll see a little space that's under Uh, on the back of your bulletin. Get this one down. A personal relationship is different than a cultural relationship. And I think this has to be the most important point this morning as we look at application because a personal relationship is different 
than a cultural. How do we know that? Matthew 9, 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and he followed him. He followed him. You got to remember, you put this into context, there was a period of silence that we often forget about. But for 400 years before the birth of Jesus, there was no prophets bringing a new word. You know, there was silence, the Bible tells us, from the Lord. Once we close the Old Testament, silent. Think of 400 years. That's a long time too, right? And there is no complete copy of God's Word. It is still in the making at this point. There is only uh, manuscripts and, of course, you know, things of the writings of the Old, of of, uh, God's Word that's been written down in the Old Testament, of course. But for 400 years, there's complete silence. And sadly, during that time, many Jewish people had fallen into just the comfort that religion can bring. You see, they had begun to embrace a cultural relationship with God. You see, many Jews of that day had that cultural relationship. Power and spiritual manipulation, sadly, it was prevalent among the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the religious leaders. Matthew was turned off to this, like many of us would be. He was hated, though, on the other end by his own people because he was a tax collector. Tax collectors were despised probably more than anyone else. I mean, not only did they collect money from Rome on their own taxes, you know, they collected for the enemy in their eyes, but they also would often take money for themselves. They would often skim off the top and they were living large. (laughs) They had the biggest house, they had the biggest parties. (laughs) And then here comes this man named Jesus and he just walks up to him and he says, Matthew, follow me. He knew what that meant. He was attracted to Jesus because you know why? Jesus took time to look him in the eyes, to get to know him, to spend time with him, and want to do life with him. And he wanted to come along and show Matthew that a relationship with God is much, much different than a religious experience. You see, cultural Christianity would teach us that it's casual, it's comfortable, it's complacent, it's convenient, it keeps score. It's easy to just be comfortable and to just kind of stay and try to tread water spiritually. Religion keeps score. Those of the religious day knew that very well, is that who can pray the biggest prayers? Who can give the most money? Who can be seen doing uh, good things for God? Who can dress the nicest? Who has the most eloquent speech of them all? You see, religion teaches that. But a personal relationship with Jesus is much different What does it do? It gives us deep purpose. It's easily noticed by others. Man, it's attractive to others. It aims to reflect Jesus more each day. How do we know that? Well, we look in Galatians 5, and this will be my closing verse. Uh, you got to love Galatians 5, verse 22, as it speaks of the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Ah, let those things define us today. If we want to know that we've walked away from religion, if we want to know that we're not being bound by the shackles of just religious obligations and duties and cultural Christianity, and we have a personal, vibrant, authentic, 
thriving relationship. I'm not saying this morning that it's perfect. We're not saying this morning that you don't sin. We're not saying this morning that we're going to have bad days or weeks. But what we're saying is it's easy for others to see what we're living for. It's easy for our coworkers, our children, our grandkids, those that we encounter throughout this community. If they spend a little time with us, no, they're not going to say that we're perfect. They're not going to say that we've got it all together. But they're going to see that we're living for someone that is greater than this world. They're going to see that the one we live for brings adventure. And that's the last point I want to make under culture. I mean, uh, personal relationship with Jesus. Anybody love adventure? I do, you know. I love doing things, uh, you know, outdoors. I love uh, different hobbies that will take me outside and maybe like you, whether it's hunting or uh, maybe going to the lake or uh, doing different things sports-wise. And we love adventure, but the greatest adventure that we'll ever have in our life is the one that Jesus can give us. It's the one who comes from the miracle worker. It comes when we say no to religion. I'm not just going to be a cultural Christian. Not going to be comfortable and complacent and apathetic. But I'm going to be one who seeks to have a vibrant relationship with the one who desires it the most. Where will your adventure take you this week, Get Well? What adventure are you on? Who are you aiming to look more and more like every day? Is it ourselves? Is it achievement? Is it success? Or are we looking to every day we wake up, look to reflect Jesus more and more in our life? Let's pray. Lord, we do agree with the question as we're in week two of this series that that's the greatest question that we'll answer in this life is who is Jesus? We thank you that you are the son of purpose. We thank you that this morning you are the son who heals. You are the miracle worker. Thank you for the miracles. Thank you for the God stories that define our lives. Oh, if we could go around this room today, we'd be here a long time listening to story after story of your goodness, your faithfulness, God, how you've come through. Oh, we thank you, Jesus, that you are so good. We thank you for your overarching plan, that you are the Messiah, you are the true Son of God, and you have defeated death. And we also thank you today that you're fighting personal battles for us. We thank you, God, that we can be freed from bondage and addiction and suffering and things that maybe even we've brought unto ourselves. God, it's not over. It's not finished. And we thank you this morning. We rejoice that you are our healer. I ask that we'll just respond to you as you would want us to this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.